0: Well, just within the past couple of weeks, there was a survey taken of 16 through 22-year-olds. And these 16 through 22-year-olds were asked what they believed would be the greatest challenge facing their generation. And right near the top of the list were the usual suspects. Coming in at number three was poverty. Number two was violence. But it was, what was at number one that caught my attention? The biggest challenge that these 16 through 22-year-olds thought that they'd be facing was the breakdown of the traditional family. The breakdown of the traditional family. Because, you see, they're looking for stability in the home. And the sad fact is, half of them have not had a stable home environment themselves while growing up. Why? Why is that? What is it that causes so much stress in families? What are some of the factors that have led to the breakdown of marriage? Well, in your notes, you see the top four areas of conflict in marriages. Number one is money. Number two would be kids. Whether to have them, how many to have, how to raise them. Number three is in-laws. And the number four uh, area of conflict in marriages is religion. What religion or faith will be practiced in the home? How will you bring your kids up and what religion? Okay, so those are the top four areas of conflict that have led to more than one marriage ending in divorce. But you know what? All marriages have problems. All families have struggles. But not every home experiences this kind of breakdown that ends in divorce. You know, the thing about divorce is that divorce doesn't solve problems. It just creates other problems. You're exchanging some problems for other problems. And in some cases, it just compounds the problems. And the truth is that most of the problems that people encounter within marriages are fixable. They don't have to end in disaster. They can be worked out. Perhaps the only exceptions to that would be habitual infidelity and ongoing abuse. Now, I imagine some of you may argue with me on that. Uh, What I'm just trying to say this morning is that by working through the problems you experience in marriage, you can avoid a lot of other problems in the long run that will actually cost you a lot more. As they say, love is grand, but divorce is 20 grand. Now this is our third week in a message series called Stressed Out. And this morning what I want to do is give you some solutions for minimizing the conflict and the stress within marriage. And then later on in this series, in future weeks, we'll talk about some of the issues regarding parenting your children. Now, I'm not a marriage counselor. I do have a little bit of training in that area, but not much. So I'm not an expert on all the dynamics of family life. But there are some things that I've learned from experience and from reading the Bible that help Shara and I to live in harmony. So I thought I'd share some of those with you here this morning. Now, for those of you who aren't married... I think a lot of these are good principles for everyday relationships. So you can take these and you can apply them as appropriate to your own situation. But we're going to be looking specifically at seven solutions for reducing stress within marriage. Number one is this. Love and respect each other. Love and respect each other. One of the most misunderstood and most abused verses in the entire Bible is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. You may be familiar with that verse already. That's the verse that tells wives to submit to their husbands. But that's not all the passage says. A lot of people get hung up on that one particular verse, but that's not all that it says. So let's let's take a look at it in a greater context. Let's take a look at that verse with the verse in front of it and a couple of verses that appear later on as well. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, 25 and 33. Says this, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Verse 25, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And how did he love the church? It tells us he gave up his life for her. And then verse 33, so again I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. So according to this passage, according to all of these verses in context, who's supposed to submit to who? Well, we're told to submit to each other. We give preference to each other. We show consideration for each other. It's not just wives submitting to their husbands, it's us submitting to each other. That's showing love and respect for each other. In fact, when you look at it, The husband is one that's given the greatest challenge. He's challenged to love his wife like Jesus loved the church. And how did Jesus show his love for the church? He died for his church. Okay, so how does this kind of love and respect play out? Well, you see it when you value each other's opinions. You're careful not to insult each other and to call each other names. You treat what's important to your your spouse as being important to you, too. And that includes your in laws. Your in laws are important to your spouse, so they're important to you, too. It means that you show gratitude for the sacrifices that they make for you and for your family. It means that you certainly don't take them for granted. It means that you give up some of the things that you'd like to do because you know that they'd like to do something else. It means that you show them preference and you treat them with dignity. That's what it means to love and respect each other. Number two is this. Part of respecting each other actually is this. Communicate. Communicate with each other. Marriage counselors say that half of divorces are caused because of a lack of communication. So if you want to avoid divorce, you've got to learn to talk about things. You've got to work together on your problems. You've got to support and encourage each other. And to do all of that, you've got to communicate with each other. you know what that means? Do you know what it means to communicate? It means that you do some of the talking and you do some of the listening. You've got to do both. In fact, one tip I can give you is this. Repeat back what you're supposed to say to you. You know, say something like this. So what I hear you saying is this and then reiterate what they've said to you, just to make sure that you understand. That's a good tip for communicating, making sure you understand what they're trying to say to you. And also, really pay attention to them, because you don't just communicate with your mouth and with your ears, you communicate with your eyes and with your entire body. Albert Moravin is a researcher working at UCLA, and he's done a lot of study, a lot of work, in the area of communication. And this is what he's concluded. He's concluded that 7% of our true feelings are communicated through words. That's all. 7% of what we're trying to communicate is through words. 38% of how we feel is communicated through how we say those words. So that's our our intonation, the tone of our voice. Um, And 55% of how we feel is conveyed through body language. Your facial expressions, your eyes, your posture, all of that nonverbal communication makes up more than half of your communication. So pay attention. Listen, but also watch to see what's being communicated to you. And ladies, nagging is not communicating. And guys, neither is sarcasm. Now this verse I'm going to show you here in just a moment, this verse from Colossians, isn't specifically about marriage. But I think it's very appropriate to apply it to marriage. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, from the message paraphrase, says this. It says, Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down, not cut them out. So it's saying you've got to communicate with each other. That's the goal. The goal is to communicate and bring out the best in each other. So you've got to understand where the other person's coming from. You've got to try to get on the same page on issues that affect your marriage. You know, how many kids are you going to have? Where are you going to spend Christmas? What are your career ambitions? How are you going to organize your finances? Who's going to, to keep track of them? You've got to talk about those kinds of things. And the best time to do that is before they become a problem. Don't wait for a crisis to arise before you start communicating because a lot of problems can be avoided by making the effort to communicate beforehand. Number three, treasure each other. If you want to reduce stress within your marriage, treasure each other. Earlier this morning we looked at a passage from Proverbs chapter 31 and that whole section there was about a husband treasuring his wife. Let me read just a few of the comments made there. It said, Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She's more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her and she will greatly enrich his life. Her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. We need to treasure each other like that husband treasures his wife. So guys, do you treasure your wife? Ladies, do you treasure your husband? And how do you show that? Is it obvious that you treasure them? Do you let them know that you treasure them? When you're out in public, do your words and your actions show that you value them? How about when you're at home? How about when it's just the two of you? Do you still treasure them then? Or do you tend to take them for granted? And can I tell you how you can best show that you treasure your spouse? You can best show them that you treasure them by investing time in them. Because time is the one thing you can't get back. If you give time to someone, you can never take that time back again. So if you give the gift of time to your spouse, it's something that you can only give to them. You can never give that time to anyone else. Jack Heil said, When I give you my time, I'm giving you my life, for time is life. How much more could I honor you than to give you my time? How much more could you honor me than to give me your time? My time with you is an investment. Your time with me is an investment. Let us care for each other's investment wisely. That's what Jack Heil said about investing time in each other and showing each other that we treasure each other by investing that time. Number five sorry, number four, if you want to reduce stress within your marriage, settle disputes proactively. Settle disputes proactively. Now, let me ask you this. What happens if you have a fight with your spouse and you never actually make amends? What happens if instead you just allow your anger to fester? What happens if you start to hold a grudge? Well, this is what happens. You, you become resentful. You become bitter. And it starts to eat away at your relationship. And over time, you'll start to drift apart. You'll stop communicating. You'll start looking around for someone else. And so, instead of allowing all of that to happen, take care of it. Settle any disputes that you might have proactively. This is what Paul wrote. Again, not specifically for marriage, but very applicable for marriage. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, it says, Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Settle disputes proactively so that they don't fester and become a huge, insurmountable problem. Number five, when you do have the dispute, attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. Listen to this.
1: Our fights get pretty, I get very intense. I don't really yell or scream or whatever, but we, we get pretty intense and we start pointing fingers. Everybody wants to say that they don't have conflict and that if they do have a fight, it's very reasonable, but that's not true. I've never met anyone in that situation really before. Allison is a definite curveball for me because, you know, typically men get uh, really, you know, intellectual or they kind of work through their argument points and kind of logically argue their way out of the argument or whatever. And Allison does that much better than I could ever dream of doing that. I mean, she remembers point by point, and whenever we get in an argument, I mean, she can go back to the beginning and take one sentence that I said and just tear it apart. Then I get frustrated. Then she comes back and is emotionally hurt as well. And so I feel like there's no no winning. I'd rather give the silent treatment back... In our marriage that's usually not notching because <laughs> Jason's a keeps talking about it and talking about it. I get fed up and I have to say something. So I can tend to be really sarcastic and take like Jason said, really using the words that he said, you know, to benefit whatever argument I'm trying to offer <laughs> and Use them sarcastically, maybe a little self deprecating talk, like, oh, it's all my fault, then, and, you know. I turn it all really on back on her. Look, I'm, I'm fine with this, I'm ready to move on, but you still have this problem and this issue, so whenever you're ready to get over it, then we can both move on and have a happy Christian marriage. And so I have this, like, holier than now kind of attitude, and um, that's not good.
0: Now, isn't that a pleasant relationship? Isn't that the kind of relationship you want to have? No, of course not. What are they doing wrong in their marriage? Or what were they doing wrong? Well, they were pointing fingers and blaming each other. They were denying any personal responsibility that they might have for the problems they were encountering. They were getting sarcastic with each other. Basically, they were attacking each other. That's their problem. They attack each other. And while they're doing that, they're not solving the real problem at all. There's got to be a better way. And there is. You can see yourself as a team. And instead of attacking each other, you can attack the problems that you have together. Don't attack the person. Attack the problem. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Husbands, love your wives and never treat them Harshly. It's never appropriate to attack your spouse. It's never appropriate to attack the person. Identify the problem and attack that together. Number six, if you want to reduce stress in your marriage, enjoy intimacy. And yeah, I'm talking about sex. Which, within the context of a marriage relationship, sex is a beautiful thing. And it's meant to bring you closer together. It's meant to reduce stress and add to the harmony of the home. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, it says this, As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. The marriage relationship is the only relationship described this way. The two are united into one. It's a unique and it's a wonderful relationship. And sex enhances that intimacy. Now, we're talking about reducing stress within marriages. Do you know what actually increases stress? When you use sex as a weapon. When you withhold sexual intimacy from your spouse in order to punish them in some way. Uh, When you use sex as a weapon, it increases stress. Take a look at this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, it says, "The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves" More completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self control. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote about sexual intimacy. He says, Don't withhold sex from your partner for any prolonged period of time unless you've both agreed to withhold it for a limited period of time. Don't withhold it. Don't withhold that intimacy. Because withholding sex does not reduce stress or eliminate problems, it just makes them worse. But when I talk about intimacy here, when I talk about enjoying intimacy, I'm not just talking about sex. Because you can express intimacy in other ways too. So, with your spouse, you need to talk about your fears and your hopes and your desires. That's a form of intimacy too. Plus, there are the non-sexual physical expressions of intimacy, like hugs and kisses and massages. And guys, listen to this. Gary Smalley, he's an author and a Christian psychologist, he says that women need eight of those non-sexual touches per day. I heard of one couple that was having some trouble in their marriage, and so they decided to do something about it. And so they went to see a marriage counselor. And they went to see him a few different times, and each time the counselor had a lot of questions for them and did a lot of listening. Until finally, on their third trip to see him, the counselor declared that he had discovered the main problem in their relationship. And so he stood up and he went over to the woman and he asked her to stand too, and he gave her a big hug. Then he looked at the man and said, this is what your wife needs at least once a day. Well, the man frowned and he thought about it for a moment and then he said, Okay, what time do you want me to bring her back here tomorrow? Well, that's not exactly how it's done. Your spouse needs you to demonstrate physical and non-physical, sexual and non-sexual intimacy with them. If you want to reduce stress within your marriage, you need to enjoy that kind of intimacy. And number seven, if you want to reduce stress, pray together. Now, I've got that listed as number seven here, but perhaps I should have listed it at number one. Praying together builds unity and it helps you grow together spiritually. And it invites God to be the foundation for your relationship. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, it says, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. And it goes on and says, treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. There's an old Cliff Richard song about marriage that says, "You and me and Jesus, Jesus me and you. On our own we'd break, with him we'll make it through." Ultimately, he's the one who can help you overcome all the stresses that you face in marriage. You're working at building a home together. And so you need God's help to accomplish that. As the psalmist said, In Psalm 127, verse 1, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. So if you want to build a home that's healthy and that will last, you need to pray together. Now, I understand that for some, your spouse may not be interested in this. Maybe they don't have any interest in knowing Jesus at all, let alone invite Him into their marriage. If you find yourself in that situation, let me encourage you to pray on your own. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your relationship with them. Pray for your kids. But pray. And understand that God can work in ways that we can't see and can't even imagine. He can work a miracle without you even knowing it's happening. So pray. Now let me give you an assignment. For those of you who are in a position where you can pray with your spouse, then do it. Tonight, before you go to bed, spend some time praying together. Pray for each other. Pray for the issues that you're facing right now as a couple. Pray for the health and the growth of your relationship. But pray. If you want to reduce stress within your marriage, then you need to pray together and invite God to be the very foundation upon which your relationship is built.